Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 471 of our three-year journey through God's Word, and we come today to 1 Kings chapter 16. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, would you help us as we look to your Word? We want to be faithful to you. We want to hear from you. We want to follow you. So would you write your word on our hearts and would you draw us by your spirit to walk in your ways today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our task is chapter 16 today, but we're going to pick up the last couple of verses from chapter 15 from yesterday just to set the context that we're in the reign of King Baasha. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the son of Ahijah, came to reign over all Israel at Terzah, and he reigned 24 years he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. And the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, Since I exalted you out of the dust, and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel to sin, provoking me to anger with their sins, behold, I will utterly sweep away Baasha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Anyone belonging to Baasha who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone who dies in the fields, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, and what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Baasha slept with his fathers, and was buried at Terzah, and Elah his son reigned in his place. Moreover, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha and his house, both because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, and in being like the house of Jeroboam, and also because he destroyed it. In the twenty-sixth year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, began to reign over Israel in Terzah, and he reigned two years. But his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. When he was at Terzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household in Terzah, Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him. In the twenty-seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. When he had begun to reign, sorry, when he began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, he struck down all the house of Baasha. He did not leave him a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son, which they had sinned and which they made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? In the twenty-seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days in Terzah. Seven, seven days. Now the troops who were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, and the troops who were encamped heard it, said, 
Zimri has conspired and has killed the king. Therefore all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. So Omri went up from Gibbethon, and all Israel with him, and they besieged Terzah. And when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house over him with fire and died because of his sins that he committed, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam, and for his sin which he committed, making Israel to sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the conspiracy that he made are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginath. So Tibni died, and Omri became king. In the thirty-first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for twelve years. Six years he reigned at Terzah. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he fortified the hill and called the name of the city he built, Samaria, after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri that he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers, and was buried in Samaria, and... Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. So Asa's reigning this whole time. Remember, he reigns 41 years. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Amri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Amri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sigub according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. That's First Kings 16. Things are getting bad. Things are getting real, real bad. So all of these events of chapter 16, they all take place during the reign of Asa, 
king of Judah. And so all the focus here is on what's happening in the northern kingdom of Israel. And basically, long story short, it goes from bad to worse. There is sin. There's great sin. So if you don't remember the sin of Jeroboam, it's referred to several times in this chapter, the sin of Jeroboam was setting up two golden calves. If you remember all the way back to the Exodus, at the foot of Mount Sinai, when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai for 40 days to receive the law from the Lord, he was gone for 40 days and the people of Israel thought, he's gone. He's left us. He's abandoned us. And here we are sitting here in the middle of the desert wilderness at the base of this mountain. What's going to happen to us? And they demanded that Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, that he make for them an idol. And so Aaron takes their earrings and he makes a golden calf and they worship the golden calf. And when Moses comes down, it's not a good scene. God is very angry, grinds up the golden calf, mixes it with the water, makes everybody drink it. Uh, the Levites take out vengeance upon the people of Israel who are kind of the, the ringleaders of this uh, idolatrous nonsense. 3,000 people are killed on that day. And apparently Jeroboam, knowing that history, because that would have been very well-known history to the people of Israel, said, well, one golden calf was bad, but two will be better. It's dumb, right? So he, he sets up two golden calves, and that's the sin of Jeroboam. That's walking in the way of Jeroboam and making the people of Israel to sin. Because he said, if you want to worship Yahweh, you have to worship Yahweh at one of these two golden calves. You can't go down to Jerusalem. You can't go down there and be obedient to the Lord and make your pilgrimage down to the temple. So he's not only sinning, but as the king, he's making Israel to sin. And the worship of Israel, not done at the temple, not done with the Levitical priesthood, not done according to the word of God, but done according to the imaginations of men, is displeasing in the eyes of the Lord. This is one of the places in the scriptures, by the way, where we Presbyterians get the idea of the regulative principle of worship. And just to clarify, if you've never heard that term before, the regulative principle of worship says that worship must be regulated by the word of God. That means we only worship God in the way that he decrees according to his word. And we believe that is a simple, spiritual, covenantal form of worship. It's a meeting between God and his people. It's a covenantal dialogue. And it's to only contain those elements of, of worship that are explicitly commanded in scripture. The reading of scripture, the singing of songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the offering up of prayers to the Lord, the preaching of God's word, the taking up of tithes and offerings, and the occasional making of vows and oaths. That's the only thing that we do in worship. There's no liturgical dance. There's no, you know, movie clips. There's no uh, puppetry. There's no clown routines. There's no juggling uh, unicyclists. Um, there's none of that because none of that is what God has commanded as how we are to worship him. Exactly what Jeroboam was doing and what he led Israel to do was let's have a culturally relevant form of worship. All the other nations have a God they can look at, a statue they can see. Let's have a culturally relevant form of worship. And this is where uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church with their icons and the Roman Catholic Church with their statuary, they go off base in exactly the same way that Jeroboam did in that they create things for people to look at to be able to worship God through a graven image. And we believe that's a clear violation of the second commandment. And it's also a clear imitation 
of the sin of Jeroboam. And so Israel is cursed because they're following the sin of Jeroboam. And that's why our conviction is pretty strong that we need to follow the regulative principle of worship. So there are no images of Jesus in our worship, and there's no nothing in our worship that's not a biblical element of worship. But things in Israel go from bad to worse because the house of Jeroboam had been judged by Baasha. Now the house of Baasha is judged by Zimri. Zimri only reigns for seven days, and then Omri comes in as the commander of the army, and he takes over, and Omri does two important things that are really pivotal events in the history of Israel. One is he buys the hill of Samaria for the establishment of a new northern capital. And Samaria will continue to be the northern capital. And in some, sometimes all of the northern kingdom of Israel is referred to as Samaria, just as sometimes Jerusalem can be used to refer to all of the southern kingdom of Judah. In fact, even in Jesus' day, which is hundreds, hundreds of years after these guys, uh, the people who live in that northern part of Israel are known as Samaritans, right? After the city of Samaria, they're kind of a mixed race that are half Israelite and half conquered peoples from the Assyrians. But that's a later story in the development. But just that name, Samaria, becomes synonymous with this northern kingdom. So that's an important development in the history of Israel, but but he doesn't he doesn't clean house. He doesn't, you know, get rid of the golden calves. He he continues, right? Verse 26. He walked in the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord the God of Israel to anger by their idols. So the first thing he does is establish Samaria. The second thing he does is father Ahab. And Ahab becomes the most famous, probably arguably the most powerful, and the most corrupt king in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the corruption really comes in when he marries Jezebel. And, you know, worshiping the Lord by golden calves is bad, but erecting an altar for Baal in a house of Baal in the middle of your capital city of Samaria is much worse, right? So the sin of Jeroboam was bad, really bad, offensive to the Lord. But the sin of Ahab and Jezebel is far worse because they are not only improperly worshiping Yahweh, but now they're bringing in completely foreign gods, Baal and Asherah. Baal being the Canaanite storm god and Asherah being the Canaanite fertility goddess. And so this is a horrible time. And one of the notes of how low things had sunk is that Jericho gets rebuilt. And it's rebuilt by a man named Hiel, who is uh, from Bethel. And he rebuilds Jericho. And we're told that he rebuilds Jericho at the cost of his firstborn son, and at the cost of his youngest son. And this was exactly what Joshua, the son of Nun, had prophesied. We're not told exactly what it meant that it was at the cost of, but the plainest way to read this text, understanding the cultural background of the ancient Near East, is that he offered up his firstborn son as an offering and then built the gates 
and he um, or laid the foundation and then he offered up his youngest son as an offering and he set up the gates that is I think the most straightforward way of reading that last verse of chapter 16 and it's showing us this I think it's there because it's showing us this downward spiral that Israel is on where not only have Baal and Asherah been brought into worship but now you have prominent people within Israel and this guy's from Bethel where one of the golden calves is set up and they're practicing human sacrifice in as part of an effort to rebuild a pagan city that was judged by God it's horrible they've gone to a very bad place now the next chapter is going to bring Elijah into the scene and for several chapters Elijah and Elisha are going to become the focus of the books of Kings um, and so this brings in some hope some some gospel hope but this chapter 16 is really sort of a downward death spiral of the northern kingdom of Israel you see once we start compromising with the world a little bit it becomes very easy to compromise with the world a lot once we give in in small ways, it becomes very easy to give in in large ways. This is a clear pattern that we see in the history of the church. Uh, if you study church history, if you study the current, the current environment of the church, and you look at places where the church has made a compromise with the world for the sake of political power, for the sake of influence, for the sake of cultural relevance, for the sake of popularity, you end up, you know, you, gotta, you ought to keep feeding the monster. And you go down that road and you're just going to have to keep going down that road and you're just going to have to keep playing that game and you're just going to have to keep. And it's just a vicious cycle that is completely unfaithful to the Lord. It's not trusting in the Lord at all. So when Jeroboam first set up those golden calves, I'm sure that in his mind he thought, this is honoring the Lord in my own way. Sure, it's not the way things have always been done, but this is still honoring the Lord in my own way. But God said, no, it's not. God even sent a prophet to say, this is not honoring to the Lord. But he was so committed to his grasp on political power that he couldn't see a way to repent, and he refused to repent. And now his kingdom has been led down this line of bloodshed and insurrection and assassination and chaotic civil war and then out-and-out -out idolatry and even human sacrifice. We as the church, we as the followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be obnoxious in fact we're called to be loving and gracious we're called to be kind and gentle we're called to be uh, as innocent as as doves and yet as as shrewd as serpents right we're called to be very wise in staying away from compromise with the world and yet very gentle in our demeanor toward the world and I think I'm afraid so often Christians get it the other way around we we have this fiery rhetoric of self-righteous uh, proud condemnation toward the world while all the while we're compromising with the world and becoming more and more like the world let first Kings 16 be a call to us to say we need to stand with King Jesus and for his kingdom in truth and love and faithfulness and not compromise with the world in any way let's pray father thank you for your love thank you for Jesus who is the perfect king and for a kingdom that will never fail. We don't need to be afraid that the kingdom of God is going to fall, that it's going to be conquered by this world. It will never happen. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will reign forevermore. And we are called to be a part of that eternal kingdom. So give us confidence in our Lord and faithfulness to his call. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's 1 Kings chapter 16. Thanks for joining me. Tomorrow we're going to be back in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11 will be on tap for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.